It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, hi there, and welcome to the Speedway Show. Our topic today is Through God's Eyes. When you look through God's eyes, you see that you are being guided in every moment with infinite wisdom and inexhaustible love. That life is unfolding with indescribable beauty and grace. That spirit is gently urging you to align your will with divine will and be a source of love, hope, and healing energy to all who cross your path. Phil Basta is the author of Through God's Eyes, Finding Peace and Purpose in a Troubled World. Phil and I met years ago now at the Minneapolis Meditation Group of Self-Realization Fellowship, where thanks to the vision and efforts of the late Paramahansa Yogananda, I learned meditation techniques that helped me get a closer walk with my Heavenly Father. Phil, welcome to the Speedway Show. Thank you, Speedway. It's, it's great to be here. It's wonderful. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you started writing. Oh, boy, starting writing. Well, <laughs> I was always writing as a kid. Uh, everything from essays to poems to song parodies. And, you know, as an adult, uh, I worked as an operations manager for a small investment management firm in Minneapolis. Uh, that was about seven years. And I loved it because numbers have always been a second language to me and the work required me to be logical and methodical and organized. But in my early 30s, the creative urge tapped me on the shoulder and I, I couldn't ignore it. I quickly lost interest in the work I had been doing and started to write professionally instead. And, you know, I I didn't choose to write this book. It chose me. The best way I can explain it is a a famous dancer was asked, why do you dance? She looked at him and said, why do you breathe? (laughs) I write because it's who I am, and I don't have a choice in the matter. It's what I was born to do. I, you know, I, I completely understand that. People ask me all the time, so why do you do the show? And I say, well, you know... I actually think it's part of my divine purpose. We just do that thing that we do. So when we go back Mm -hmm. to when we think about the book, what then is the primary message of Through God's Eyes? Well, you actually answered that in the introduction yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if I had to sum up the core teaching of the ancient wisdom presented in the book, and it would be, With love and devotion, align your will with divine will and be a source of love, hope, and healing energy to all who cross your path. It's a nice place to live. Well, what do you say to people who insist that their religion is the only true religion? Well, I I stay away from judging other people's religious and spiritual beliefs. If, If what you believe works for you and you're happy and peaceful, that's wonderful. I mean, in, in the end, all rivers lead to the same ocean. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, I, I've I've read the book and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I do notice though that you use a lot of quotes in the book, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if there is a particular reason why you use so as many quotes as you do in the book. Well, I alternate in the book. I alternate my own commentary with inspirational quotes from other people in such a way that the commentary and quotes support, uh, build upon, and flow into each other. And a quote may expand on the concept that precedes it, or it may introduce the brief commentary that follows. Uh, The reason I wanted to do that format, and from the very beginning I knew that's what the format would be, um, quotes by others not only add depth and subtlety to important ideas, they lend credibility to the book because they illustrate that the wisdom contained in its pages is not just something that I conjured up. Every concept presented in the book has been validated by great minds throughout the ages. I do notice that I love stories. And um, mm-hmm. about, uh, what, over 2,000 years ago, there was, a, there was a, an amazing, amazing uh, teacher who did a just masterful job in a very short period of time with storytelling. So you've got Mm -hmm. stories, and you include a story from your own life at the end of every chapter. And so what was your your thinking? What inspired you to do that? Well, two reasons. Um, And actually, I wasn't going to include stories. I sent some of the early drafts to some friends and asked them for feedback. And I kept on hearing the same thing, add some stories, add yourself to the book. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted the book to stand on its own. But then I saw the wisdom in what they were saying um, because, well, first of all, I thought that sharing my own experiences would make each chapter's principles more relatable to readers and give them ideas on how to apply them in their own lives. And second, I wanted to show that I'm not just a a religious recluse or an out-of-touch academic. I'm just an average person living an average life with flaws and failings just like everybody else. So if I can embody these teachings to some degree, so can anyone else who reads this book. And I noticed... um, I really see now that by adding my own stories so people can see uh, who is this guy who wrote this book, that they can see I've got feet of clay just like everybody else. Well, do you have a favorite story? So of all of the stories that you talk about, which one, is there one or maybe a couple that stand out to you as your favorite well, there, there's a couple that stand out for a couple different reasons. I have a story about my, my dad's slow descent into Alzheimer's and some pretty amazing things that happened with that. And that is, of course, near and dear to my heart. I had a wonderful dad. And then I also have a, a story about um, how I learned to Well, I guess you could say instead of looking at expressing love in every moment as a choice, I learned Mm -hmm. why and how to do that as a way of life. 
And that was a funny story, actually, <laughs> that took place in a gym when a guy I know uh, lost his temper with me and threatened to beat me up. And and I, honest to God, when, when he was in my face yelling at me, I was thinking, cool, here's my chance to see if this love stuff really works. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And I explained that in the story, what happened, and it was... It was pretty awesome. Yeah, most people wouldn't be thinking of that as a great opportunity. Most people would be thinking, run! <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's just there's so many things in life that if you just reframe them and look at them in a different way, changes everything. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the lessons I learned uh, from that particular encounter. Um, the reason I, I came to that place is I read in a book called Teach Only Love, Gerald Jampolsky wrote, uh, and he bases his writings on A Course in Miracles. He, he wrote that every person we meet is in need of love from us or offering love to us. And yeah. I thought, boom, you know, <laughs> my life changed when I read that. And I thought, why wouldn't I want to live that way? And I, I have a whole chapter on how to express love and lo- choosing love instead of choosing fear and things to understand and watch out for about that. And, and it's changed my life. Did you, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of take off on a tangent there a bit because that's, that's really kind of interesting. Did you find that you had to practice um, giving love and that whole mindset? It sounds easy when you say it, but I suspect that actually when you try and practice it, it's it's easy to fall back into your regular groove of um, mental and emotional behavior. Did you find that that was something that you had to work on? Oh, yeah, they call it spiritual practice for a reason. <laughs> so it, it does take uh, a lot of determination and focus and persistence, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the thing that really helped me, and maybe we, we might talk about this later on, is affirmations. That helped tremendously. Um, affirmations are a quick, easy, safe way to replace your negative thoughts with positive ones. And I really um, valued my experience with affirmations. They helped me uh, get to where I needed to be. And I have a a bonus chapter in the book on affirmations with sample affirmations and explain all the dynamics of them, what to do, what not to do, and why they work and how they work. Well, now that you mention affirmations, you, so you've got this bonus chapter, and it mm-hmm. talks about affirmations. So what was it in particular about affirmations that, that made you want to include that chapter? Why was that important? Well, uh, it helped me so much because if you look at it, your thoughts are a powerful creative force that set the course and the tone of your life. And we all think thousands of thoughts every day, and the vast majority of which are repetitive. But 
over time, you know, all that, re- that relentless self-chatter is often negative and self-limiting, but it forms the patterns of our thinking. And that's, that holds true for everybody. So the, the goal is to replace your negative thought patterns with positive ones. And um, what, by the way, I should say what an affirmation is. It's a positive statement that a specific intention is already true. And affirmations are an effective way to reshape the way you look at the world. Because if you train yourself to think more positive, loving thoughts, you're going to live a more positive, loving life. One of the things that I, one of the one of the terms that I learned and really started to pay a lot of attention to when I started uh, learning how to meditate and when I joined SRF was this this concept that you mentioned of thought habits. Because when most people think about habits, right, they think about activity. They think about things that they do. They think about drinking or smoking or going to the gym. They think about the stuff that they do. But many of us, and I think you you hit this on the head, many of us completely disregard the, 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 the power of thought habits. Because if you have a physical habit that you're consciously aware of, then you're either perpetuating either intentionally or unintentionally. You're, you're perpetuating that habit, but you know it's there. If you have a smoking habit that you're trying to kick, right, you know you have a smoking habit, and, and it's a conscious awareness, whereas I think a lot of times part of the challenge with thought habits is not only do we not really think about our thoughts as habits, in the way that you just described, right? They're repetitive and therefore they're habits and they form grooves in our minds and sort of pathways that we learn how to navigate. And it's hard to change a thought habit just like it's hard to change a physical habit. But I I would guess that part of the challenge with thought habits is we're so much less aware of our thought habits as habits. So if you've got a negative thought habit, you may not even realize you have a negative thought habit because you're just allowing a string to play over and over in your mind. And I wonder, you know, how how much do you um, address the importance of those kinds of things? I know you talk about it in the context of affirmations, um, but are there other ways that you, you, you either think about that or address that or get the readers to, to think about those kinds of things in your book? Yeah, I, I do write in the book that it's important to train yourself to monitor your thoughts because mm-hmm. when you can observe your thoughts as if they were someone else's, and that, that's worth saying again, when you can observe your thoughts as if they were someone else's, you begin being able to be a conscious witness to your own life. So you're not uh, caught up in your emotions. You're able to have an objectivity, like watching, oh, this is interesting. Why am I reacting like this? Why am I saying these things? When you can um, observe your thoughts like that, you you start to move from being self-absorbed to be self aware and well for example start with your first thought of the day what runs through your mind when you wake up do you you dread the day ahead are you excited about the brand new day 
Uh, I love the way Wayne Dyer said it. He said, the choice is up to you. It can either be good morning, God, or good mm-hmm. God, morning. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, that's really the, the key to living a successful life is being able to watch your thoughts as if they were someone else's and have that observer within you, that detachment, um, and detachment does not mean apathetic. It means caring deeply, but from an enlightened, caring place. And when you can get to that point, that's really when you begin to be able to live a, a spiritual life. One of the things that you emphasize in the book Through God's Eyes is self-reflection. And in fact, at the end of every chapter, you have 12 self-reflection questions. And on the heels of what you just said, um, I thought it would be interesting to to hear you talk about why that was so important and why you offer those self-reflection questions at the end of every chapter. Well, you're right. Introspection is at the heart of your transformation from being self-absorbed to becoming self-aware. Uh, it's the only way to get there. You have to dive deep into your inner world. Um, and the, the self-reflection questions at the end of each chapter that I, I added, uh, those are intended to spur self-exploration and build self-awareness and heighten your appreciation and enjoyment of life because someone's answers to those questions will be uniquely their own. In, in fact, um, not only will the answers that are right for them not be right for anyone else, they may be right for them for only a short while because the way we look at life changes. Life changes uh, by itself. And we need to get in touch with ourselves in a deep way and really um, come to a place of self-knowing so things don't happen to us. We can be proactive and make things happen instead of letting things happen. For the person who's listening, so I'm going to have listeners who are going to be listening, and most of them, let us assume, have not read this book because this is why we're talking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. When you talk about self-reflection, because, you know, I find that for most people, their favorite topic on this whole wide world is themselves. So, therefore, self-reflection is actually pretty interesting. Uh, to most people, if if we're just going to be perfectly honest, give us and give us a, a, a few uh, titillating examples of the kinds of self-reflection questions that you suggest uh, we mull over as we're reading through. And and it could be any chapter. It could be a favorite ones or the ones that you have found to be most useful for you personally, or that you've gotten feedback on that they are you know, the most, uh, the most enlightening or the most helpful. Give us an idea of the kinds of self-reflection questions that you, that you encourage people to explore. Well, I'll give you some examples, but I would say they're all, in my view, they're all equally valid. I haven't got any feedback on this particular question on this particular chapter changed my life. That may have happened. Um, but they're all designed, I, I spent a lot of time designing them to um, provide insight, um, no matter who was looking at them. 
Um, well, for example, how at the focus on being not doing chapter, um, one of the questions is how can I challenge myself to step out of my comfort zone so I can fully step into who I am capable of being? And that, that really, first of all, you have to define, okay, do I have a comfort zone? Of course I do. What, what are the boundaries? And how can I step beyond them in an authentic, um, positive way? And where would that lead me? So questions like that. Uh, let's, for example, in the chapter, External Security, is an illusion. Um, Here's a question. In what ways have experiences that were painful at the time shaped me into who I needed to be? Because all of us can look back on situations, whether it's, for example, the end of a job, the end of a relationship, something that was devastating at the time. But as it turned out, it was... um, the best thing that could have happened. You know, it's, um, for example, I have a story. I have a story in the book about I went through a very tough financial time and had a wonderful um, experience with my dad reaching out. And that was so um, powerful. Basically, now, today, I, I'm now grateful for those dark days of having no job and no money because enduring such a stressful period with, with fear gnawing at the pit of my stomach for days on end, that was a small price to pay for the, the beautiful moments of love and grace and redemption I shared with my dad that I wrote about. If I were in debt the rest of my life, I'd still consider myself the richest man on earth because it help my I mean my dad and I were always really close but it just deepened that bond even more the experiences that I wrote about in the book well I find that yeah at the time you know I I was thinking how am I going to pay the rent I've got a wife and 12 year old daughter and I couldn't see any any positivity in the situation but um, that's I like what Carolyn Mace says she says when you look ahead, you see only chaos. When you look behind, you see only order. So you can look behind as what, to what happened already and see the beauty and, and grace in it, even if at the time it's stressing you out and you just want no part of it. Well, I, I think that's true. Because actually, if we are, if we are truly honest, most of us, um, even the worst experience that you've ever had, you can, if you choose, get something valuable out of that experience. I remember when I was um, when I was a young lawyer. In fact, when I when I got out of law school, I got a job with um, a firm, and the owner of that firm was reputed to be one of the best litigators in all of the um, city that I worked in, and it was fantastic because I thought, well, this is great. I'm going to learn from the best. And she absolutely was, but she was a horrible manager and um, Mm -hmm. caused, you know, great misery. And I remember maybe two years in, I called my dad just in tears one day, and I was like, I'm going to quit. 
I don't have a job. I don't care. I'm going to quit. I'm on it. Well, she said, don't you dare quit that job unless you have learned everything that you intended to learn from that job. And so, and he gave me this lecture about, you know, how you can't. He said to me, you never let somebody else dictate your career path. You always, always um, make your career choices based on what you're trying, where you're trying to get to in your career and what you need to get out of each job. And there will always be horrible people along the way. There will always be people you think you can't get along with, but you have to stick to it as long as you need to. And so I stayed another three years, and I, I, it was like pulling teeth most of the time, right? Hated it, hated it. But <laughs> in the end, the truth is I learned all of the foundational things that I learned about hard work, about putting in, you know, the extra time, all of that stuff I actually learned in those first five years. And now I can honestly say I am, you know, where I am today and quite happy about where I am today because of those really, really difficult first five years of my career. And I think that's often the lesson that if we are to be honest, um, we can look back and we can find that kind of order and you can see how the thing I did here and the thing I suffered there and the horrible thing that happened over here all sort of come together in order to make me who I am right now and to allow me to speak to all of the different challenges and the human emotions and all of the things that I know people go through that I can um, that I can empathize with because of all yeah. of the difficulties that I've encountered, right? Yes. I have a, a long story in the book about getting a divorce and and how I saw value in it from the first moment, even though it still hurt. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to hurt any less. It just means that you're going to recover more rapidly when you are able to look at things and reframe them. And I'll, I'll say one other thing. Even if somebody listening now is in a situation that they think, you know, there's no, nothing possibly positive that can come out of this, what, if you can just reframe it and say, okay, even if you're skeptical that a particular event has meaning, acting as if it does imbues it with meaning because if you look for the lessons behind an event, always conjure up a few possibilities. And that introspection paves the way for fresh insights, which in turn sparks learning and growth. So ultimately, if the only meaning an event has is the meaning you assign to it, it is meaning nonetheless. And that's the value of introspection. Mm, that's true. Um, in one of your chapters, I think it's chapter 16, you say, the moment you recognize the blessings inherent in your suffering, the greater your capacity to transcend your anguish, even as grief and pain threaten to consume you. And I, I thought that was powerful because you don't even have to wait until you're out on the other side to say, whew, <laughs> that was a close one. Look what I've learned. Because, you know, that's what a lot of people do, right? They wait until after the thing is over to say, you know, I struggled with alcohol. You know, I, I had to lose, you know, 500 pounds. But oftentimes people wait until they're on the other side of it, whereas the thing that you get to in your book is you actually go 
into that space when you're in the hurricane and you're not even out yet and and just to recognize even as you're in it and you're in the darkest night to say that actually this moment has the blessing. I thought that was very brave. Oh, yes, and I do talk about that quite a bit in the story. We probably don't have time to, to discuss it any further, but that is an excellent, excellent point. Different people have different interpretations of the word God. So here's the title, Through God's Eyes. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I would guess that there was, you know, in at least in your mind, some measure of the recognition of controversy around that word. Do you address the controversy surrounding that word in the book? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the start of the book, in the readers, I noted that I used the word God uh, for the sake of consistency and convenience. Uh, uh, and I recognize that there are probably as many interpretations of God as there are people reading the book. Um, many people view God as the source of all existence, many others as existence itself. But whether, whether the readers view God as a, a being, a universal intelligence, a force, or any other type of form or, or formless entity, I just trust that they'll substitute the name or reference for God that they're most comfortable with every time they come across the word. But just for convenience sake, I needed to use that word throughout the book. Mm-hmm. I find that um, actually, and and even with, uh, I remember, well, even with Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, it's one of the things that I didn't really think very much about until I, I started meditating was the fact that even though we have multiple names, if you ask most people in, you know, the main religions, if you go and you ask uh, the Muslim, if you go you ask the Christian who, to define who their God is, what you find is actually most of us end up pointing to the one, one true God. I, I like to call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Joseph. But a lot of times you find that there is actually surprising consistency when people start to describe who that is to them. Yes, and I actually like thinking of God as divine mother uh, rather than divine father. It just, either one, I guess, is, is works for me, but I, I really uh, resonate with divine mother. And you can think of God in whatever form you can relate to because the way I view it, God is, God is essentially a formless intelligence. That that supreme intelligence that governs everything is an ancient mm-hmm. definition. And it's hard to relate to a formless intelligence. So whatever resonates within your heart, um, that's how you can establish a deeper relationship with God, is to imagine um, that kind of form that means the most to you. Where did you find, we talked a little bit earlier about the quotes in the book, where did you find all the quotes in the book? Well, all over the place. And sources of all of every single quote in the book, you can find at a website I created called godseyesquotes.com. And not only will readers be able to verify the accuracy of each quote, every comma and word place, they can link directly to the book or website that I used as a source. And 
That listing will be updated as needed because identifying who said what, when, and where is a never-ending project. Sweet. Um, so <laughs> we're now toward the end of our show. What do you want readers to come away with? Well, you know, people's interpretations of spiritual concepts are going to differ from mine, but no matter where they're coming from, I hope that Through God's Eyes prompts them to examine and clarify their own beliefs about spirituality and their place in the world. And I'll consider the book a success if it inspires others to live more consciously, uh, love more consistently, and greet each morning with joy and gratitude. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, you will be delighted to know that on the posting for this show on speedway.com, you will find all things Phil Basta and True God's Eyes. And actually, there are several websites dedicated to True God's Eyes, Phil, aren't there? Yes. Uh, Godseyesbook.com is an overview of the book, and you'll find links to every aspect of the book, from chapter excerpts to testimonials to you know radio interviews like this to links to sources of all the quotes. And the mm-hmm. GodsEyesAmazon.com, uh, that's the best place to order the book, GodsEyesAmazon.com. And uh, let's see, there's, isn't there, I think there's another site, right, GodsEyesOrder.com? How is that different yes, from GodsEyesAmazon.com? Some people don't like to order from Amazon, so I have an alternate site, GodsEyesOrder.com, and that's available too. And, uh, oh, I'll give my... My email address is godseyes at me.com. That's G-O-D-S-E-Y-E-S at me.com. And if people would like to email me, your listeners, I'll send them a sample chapter from the book. And I'll also send a free copy of my ebook, The Logic of Living a Spiritual Life, Supporting a Life of Faith Through Logic and Reason. Is that a book that is complete or is that a book that you're working on right now? That is complete. It's, it's for sale on Amazon. That's a, an e-book for 99 cents, but I'll, I'll send your listeners a free copy if they'd like. That is fantastic. So you heard it here, folks. Uh, if you missed that email address, it's godseyesatme.com. You will be able to find it along with all the other uh, websites that we just rattled off here at seaway.com on the link for on the episode uh, for this particular show. And by the way, this is just one of two because, so you have, a, uh, you have agreed to come back and talk to us a little bit more about this amazing book, have you not? Oh, yes. I mean, we could have a dozen shows. There's <laughs> so, much, so much material to cover. I know. So, uh, listeners, thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show today. Phil, thank you very much for being my very special guest. And uh, listeners, I encourage you to tune in next week when we will have the conclusion of this interview and this amazing book. And in the meantime, I encourage you to visit the posting for the show on speedway.com for links and contact information and all things Phil. And uh, until then... We are wishing you uh, Godspeed and uh, tune in next week and uh, go in peace and live your most joyful and fulfilling life and we would certainly like you to do it 
through God's eyes. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle The Speedway Show. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.